0: Hello, I'm Zeb Neuwirth and welcome to Creating New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, and bold solutions on how to advance the creation of a customer-oriented, value-based, and humanistic system of health. The views I express are solely my own and do not represent the views of any person or organization other than myself. Folks, all of us are familiar with Uber, and my guess is just about everyone who is listening to this podcast has used Uber multiple times. But how many of us are familiar with the increasingly significant role that Uber is playing in healthcare delivery? We're going to have the opportunity today to hear about this directly from two really wonderful and brilliant leaders within Uber Health. Caitlin Donovan, the global head of Uber Health, and Dr. Michael Cantor, the chief medical officer of Uber Health. Now, before I formally introduce our guest today, I'm going to make a request of you. If you find value in this podcast, please share it with your colleagues and also rate it online. This actually helps others find the podcast A number of you have already begun rating and sharing the podcast through LinkedIn and Twitter. and I I just wanna say, I, I read what you write and I so greatly appreciate you taking a moment to spread the podcast and even more importantly than that, to spread the word on creating a new healthcare. So I can't tell you how excited I am to be speaking to our guest today. Caitlin Donovan is the global head of Uber Health. She has held numerous chief operating officer positions in organizations such as MyOrthos, Motive Care, which was previously logistic care, a specialty benefits manager in non-emergency medical transportation, and CareCentrics, where she focused on home-based care and post-acute care. Earlier in her career, she worked in finance as an investor at Bain Capital and as a member of the internal consulting group at Summit Partners. She earned a bachelor's degree in economics from Harvard University, and she lives in Dover, Massachusetts with her husband and her two sons. Dr. Michael Cantor is a geriatrician and actually an attorney. He is currently the chief medical officer of Uber Health, also the CEO of the Cantor Group. Previously, he's held positions as chief medical officer for the Bright Health Plan for Carecentrics and also as chief medical officer for the New England Quality Care Alliance, Neuqua. He still makes house calls one day a month, and he's practiced for so many years in in the hospital setting, in long-term acute care facilities, and in nursing homes. He trained in internal medicine at the Beth Israel Hospital in Boston, and he completed his geriatrics fellowship at the Harvard Medical School. Michael holds degrees in law and medicine from the University of Illinois. Wow. I'm feeling a little intimidated by the pedigree here today. Caitlin, uh, this is the first time you and I've had a chance to talk and I have to say, I'm going to go a little Boston with you here because I I did live in Boston for about 10 years or so and actually did go to school in Boston. But Michael and I have known each other for probably 15 or 20 years. We met when we were in Boston or when I was in Boston. And I just want to say something. So my wife, who's an infectious disease person who may be the smartest doctor I know, she actually worked with Michael at Tufts New England Medical Center and she would tell me, "Wow." that michael Cantor, he is such a wicked smart doctor and coming from her that's amazing and then i'm talking to michael Cantor over the past few weeks and months and, and hearing about you caitlin and all I hear from Michael Cantor is, wow, that Caitlin Donovan is a wicked smart leader. <laughs> and so I've got, I've got a lot of wicked smart people on the call today. And so, again, just, just so excited. And, and I used to, by the way, I used to bike in Dover. I, I think it is one of the prettiest towns I've ever had the pleasure of being in. So just feel very, very close to you through the Boston Connection and, and just really fun to get a chance to, to meet you and, of course, speak to my, my friend and colleague, Dr. Michael Cantor.
1: The, the feeling is absolutely mu- mutual. I think the Boston community is such a strong one. And uh, any chance I get to use the word wicked, I will take it. <laughs> um, and I've heard wicked good things about you as well, Zev, um, and, and obviously feel the same way uh, about Mike.
2: <laughs> Plus one, <laughs> what she said.
0: It is so much fun to talk to both of you, and, and what a pleasure and a privilege. So I want to jump in, when we were corresponding one of you wrote, right now there is, and I'm quoting you here, right now there is a lot of data around the importance of the social determinants of health and access in healthcare, but very few are peeling back the onion to figure out how to fix it at scale. And I love that statement. Very few are really peeling back the onion, to fix it at scale. So maybe let's start with Michael with you. Again, you've been in healthcare delivery for such a long time as a practicing geriatrician, as a leader in hospitals and on the health plan side and Medicare Advantage, home-based care. How big an issue is the issue of access and social determinants from your perspective and from Uber Health's perspective? And what are you all doing at Uber Health? How do you see yourself actually addressing those two big challenges?
2: So let me start with social determinants question first. And I think the answer is it's hard to size because the way that we think about health, not health care, but health is the biopsychosocial model, which incorporates the biological or physiological illnesses and diseases and incorporates the psychological status of the person and also incorporates their social environment. And as a geriatrician, there was no way to separate out the social determinant from the medical, from the psychological, because it's so much of a part of an integrated whole of who we are. And and health is more than the absence of disease, right? Health is actually this broader, much broader concept, which incorporates healthy food and a good place to live and a safe community and access to care. And access to care is is sort of one of the three major you know, structure of quality um, in terms of access, cost, and and quality. Usually, thinking that you can only get one of those three, one of those. You know, you can't get all three. You can either get access, or you can get quality, or sometimes you get access and quality, but then the cost is too high. Uh, so that model, those two models, which point out that both access and social determinants are integral to the way we think about health. And how we give people access to better health and allow them to stay healthy really speaks to the mission at Uber Health, which is really about addressing these issues which impact our health, specifically transportation today. But as we'll talk about throughout this podcast, we have a much bigger vision for a future where there's a true integration at scale across not just transportation, but also nutrition, medication delivery access to house calls. I mean, there's sort of the is the limit in terms of what we can do to bring together these services in one place so that they're easily accessible. I mean, we know today that millions of people a year miss their medical appointments because they don't have a ride. Hmm. So we're starting with that very clear, simple problem. But we recognize that access to care is integral to overall health and that social determinants are also a key part of the health for every individual literally in the world. It is the World Health Health Organization's position that health really incorporates these other factors, not just medical illnesses and treatments.
0: You know, Michael, I just wanna say something. What you just raised, that point is so important. Millions of people in, in this country miss their appointments with their physicians and other providers every year. And it's easy to gloss over that, but as you were saying it, I thought to myself, oh my God, that was my experience as a practicing clinician for over 20 years. And as an executive in healthcare delivery, we know that no-show rates are significant. They're somewhere between 10 to 15% probably. That was my experience. And... In some places, some sometimes it's actually higher than that. So you're talking about a schedule for literally every physician in the country has got a schedule every day, hard to get into it, not a lot of open slots. And if you think that every day on a clinician's calendar, there are two or three or four patients that are not showing up, it's often too late to actually fill that spot with another one. So you're, you're talking about a huge care gap issue, a huge productivity issue what a waste in terms of, again, you you multiply that by all the providers in the country. And so it is not a small issue. It's so mind-blowing to me that as you were speaking, I was like, oh my God, this is serious and big. And so when you talk about the fact that Uber is really helping to address this issue of getting patients to the providers, and I know there's a bigger picture here and there's more to it, but that alone seems gargantuan. So I just want to Point that out, punctuated, and really thank you for for really showing us the reality. And I I don't know that many people actually realize this. You have to actually be in the workings to understand how serious and how real an issue this is. So, Caitlin, what do you think about this perspective on on the access and and really kind of almost stepping back and and as an executive that you are really experienced and no nonsense. What what's the mission here? What's the goal of Uber Health?
1: Yeah. So I think our goal is to solve the problem that you and Mike just, just referenced in a really scalable way. What we've seen is there are so many organizations that have been trying to trying to tackle this, but really piecemeal, right? There's been grant programs here or there. There have been community-based organizations that help with this mission. There have been um you know even benefit design for Medicaid that allows Medicaid beneficiaries to use transportation to and from their doctor's appointments but there hasn't been a consistent way to embed the, the 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 way that patients access their care in the plan of care so the way we're thinking about that is how can you use the uber health technology to enable a really great benefit design to embed that at the point of care, at the provider's office, to make it much easier for, for providers really to prescribe an entire care plan that thinks about both the clinical and non-clinical elements that patients need um, to be adherent. And, and that's how we've set up our software today. So you might think of Uber as the app that's in your pocket where you can request a ride from one of our independent drivers. Uber Health has an extra technology layer that's a software platform intended for care coordinators, call centers, providers to be able to request rides or deliveries on behalf of their patients.
0: Wow. You just sort of reframed my thinking about this in a big, big way, Caitlin. The first is, as you're talking, I'm thinking, okay, so here's the reality. Hospitals and, and, and healthcare systems and provider groups for decades have been organizing their own transportation, hiring kind of local companies, but it is sort of mom and pop-ish. It's trying to get these minivans and these services. And here you have something like an Uber, this is what you do, state-of-the-art, tech-enabled, crazy smart logistics platform that organizes this. And so you're really taking that transportation to a whole new level. And my thinking about it is, healthcare systems are not in the business of transportation and these sorts of logistic platforms why not let a company like uber that that is really the world class in this do that so that was the first reframe and the second is this notion that and you said this word i'd never really thought about it never would have connected uber health or uber with this notion of medical adherence but it almost seems like it's an app for adherence it's enabling the providers but enabling patients and their families to be adherent to to follow up with whether it's getting to the visit whether it's i know we're going to get into other things you do like medication michael was mentioning food and delivery like that so i mean tell me what you think about this but you just reframed it as sort of an app for medical adherence i don't know is that that resonate with you both
1: I think it does. And I just might add one more nuance to that where the intention of all of these wraparound ancillary benefits, right? Whether that's transportation or over-the-counter medication or um, prescriptions or food is to make sure that patients can stay healthy in their home or be adherent to a care plan. But if you think about all of the places they need to go to successfully get their prescription, get their transportation, go to their medical provider, go get their their healthy food. Um, that's a lot of homework for a patient. So if we can make it easier to be that one-stop shop for all of those historically disparate benefits, I think not only do we help with adherence, we help with the figurative access of navigating really complex benefit design as well.
2: Yeah, I was just going to echo uh, what Caitlin said and, and add to that, that the adherence is important, but it's not the goal, mm. right? The goal is for the person to be able to speak to their clinician face-to-face if they need a ride somewhere or to access their medication or to be able to um, get healthy food. The other thing that we can do with this, and I think it goes back to what Caitlin said a minute ago, the other thing we're really focused on is bringing care to the patient Instead of bringing the care to the patient, unless necessary. When it's necessary, we're happy to um, play that role. For example, there are a lot of virtual first care providers now, where people connect by telehealth um, with their provider. Sometimes those providers realize that patient needs to be seen in person and examined, or have a test done that they can't do in their home. How are you going to How are you going to get them there? And a lot of people can get there by themselves, but many people can't. And so, if you think about um, what Uber can do, it can actually move people. And it can move things. And depending on who that person is, it could be the patient going into an urgent care center or their primary care doctor's office after a virtual visit, or it could be the home health aide who is struggling with transportation, um, their car breaks, they're gonna miss their shift. There's very little staffing in home health, as you know, to cover those gaps. So we're looking to see as a logistics organization, how do we use our technology to enable clinicians, whether they're the ones getting the rides or ordering the rides, to do what they need to do to keep people healthy that's the big vision of what we're trying to accomplish
0: yeah that's brilliant thank you both for expanding that i've been just writing down all these words it's caitlin you're, you're right it's and michael it's it's more than just adherence now i've got this picture of it sort of connectivity and communication and navigation and adherence but it does seem like a connector and like you said caitlin keeping people healthy at home as well. Maybe we could jump into some concrete pictures or illustrations of, so in terms of transportation, but you also again have been mentioning this notion of, Michael, you just said it's people and other things. So whether it be medications and food, could you tell me a little bit about the services that Uber Health offers?
1: Sure. So right now, like Mike said, we're really focused on being able to offer a comprehensive non-emergency medical transportation benefit via our technology platform. But part of the reason that at least I came to Uber, and I think we both came to Uber, is we are the only technology that truly has a bi-directional platform um, where, yes, we can move people, we can also move things, and we recognize how important that is Um, In the context of healthcare. Typically, if someone has a transportation need, there's a 20 to 25% overlap that they also have a food need as a very basic example. And so for us to deliver on all of the components that patients need to stay healthy at home, we need to move into that area. So we've, we've made some partnership announcements in the past, for example, a relationship with ScriptDrop where we'll start to deliver prescriptions and have the same intention to do that uh, with food as well in the coming year.
0: That's a remarkable point that there's a 20 to 25% overlap. So if you need transportation, there's a reasonable chance you need medication delivery as well as food delivery. That's so how does this, maybe in a couple more illustrations of healthcare systems you're working with or uh, in terms of how this works, how how would I, if I'm in a system, leverage Uber Health? Is it literally just the doctor's office calling and ordering an Uber or are there-
1: I'd say it's even easier than that. Um, so so our, our whole goal here is we tend to have four types of users. The first is a health system where- they typically use us for discharge efficiency, or for high frequency appointments where there's a high rate of no show. Whether that's dialysis appointments, oncology appointments, radiation appointments, we have a software dashboard that enables them to uh, request rides with our independent couriers or or fleet partners on behalf of the patient. And they basically enter all the information that we're used to having in our app on this software browser and can track this in a workflow tool that we have embedded in this software. Um, You know, we've really built this for providers, care coordinators, call centers in mind that are managing hundreds or thousands of patients as opposed to a one-to-one relationship so that they don't just sort of make the request to match a patient with an Uber and then cross their fingers and hope it works. We really want to make sure that we're surfacing, hey, this patient didn't show up to trigger a care coordinator to give them a call make sure everything's okay, as opposed to sort of just hoping it goes well. So that's how it works for health systems. We do the same thing for payers. So for Our health insurance customers, we work either directly with them or with the benefit manager of their choice to help structure this benefit and then embed our technology at their largest providers to put this benefit decision-making closer to the point of care. Um, And then the third place we work is with risk-bearing providers or benefit managers, um, ACOs, that know to make the decision of, you know, yes, I'd rather spend $20 on a ride and avoid an acute event. Um, and I sorry, I mentioned a fourth one. The fourth one is actually, like Mike mentioned, with um, a, a lot of home health agencies or or nursing agencies will use us. There's also a, a nice benefit to helping home health workers get through their day. If you're not looking for parking, if you're not paying for parking, there's a really nice ROI on replacing with Uber. And there's the added benefit from a patient experience perspective of, if your nurse doesn't show up on time you can call the home office and they know exactly where you are because they're tracking in the uber
0: thank you for for outlining those four and again you talked about the transportation to things like hemodialysis or to radiation therapy i can imagine other diagnostic tests high cost high revenue tests and so again for me you just are reminding me how big an issue this is for provider groups. It's tremendous lost revenue and also obviously issues of care delivery and quality when patients aren't showing up to something as life-saving as dialysis three or four times a week, which is again necessary and critical. And if people don't show up, they end up in the ED and the same thing with radiation therapy. And these are sort of high tech, high cost, high revenue, high life-saving situations that you are, again, facilitating any sort of numbers or stats like that come to mind? Again, I'm just in my head trying to imagine the revenue loss, productivity, lost opportunities and care each year across this country because of this issue. And I, I know it's a big issue. I just don't have any numbers to attach to it.
1: The The, the number that we often cite is that there's um, $150 billion of loss in the system because of missed appointments. Um, so that that is truly the the problem we're trying to solve.
0: Each and every year.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Wow. And the beauty of what Uber does is because the technology, really it, it is the platform, which means that it just doesn't do one thing, but it connects to other systems. So it connects into the system, whether that's an EMR or a web portal, depending on what the person wants to use to schedule an appointment for their patient. Um, It will also connect um, in the future to things like being able to access and order directly, prescription delivery at home, meals delivered at home, groceries at home, et cetera, et cetera. And so what that does is it allows you, and because um, there are Uber drivers in all 50 states and other jurisdictions in the U.S., we can scale very rapidly and we can scale in places, mostly um, urban settings we're best at or suburban, but we're now working towards uh, solutions for rural areas we're also trying to develop, we are actually developing, actually we're trying. We're going to be um, mm. going live pretty shortly with a comprehensive non-emerge, non-emergency medical transportation um, access point. So that instead of just being able to order, um, today what's called curb to curb, where the person walks to the curb, gets in the car, goes to the destination, gets out of the car at the curb, walks to the building. Uh, soon we're working towards being able to help people get in and out of the cars um, from door to door. We're looking to integrate with um, other organizations that offer the other parts of non-emergency medical transportation, like wheelchair accessible vans, uh, making sure they need um, providing all of that in one place. Because today, if you need to order a ride for someone and they require a wheelchair accessible van, if that... Um, And most of those organizations um, don't have the same sophistication technology that Uber has. It's a very manual process with a call center and the usual experience we all know um, with call centers. What we're looking forward to is when we can use the Uber platform to be able to connect uh, directly to those organizations and not have to have a phone call and not have to have separate eligibility and benefit checks, but have it all in one place. That's really one of the major advantages we see of sort of building out the transportation piece of this to make it more consistent and easier to access and and therefore more likely to be effective and because it's more efficient, uh, less expensive as well. The other thing I would point out is that people who use Uber Health today, um, they don't need the app. So a patient doesn't have to have an account with Uber. They don't have to have an app on their smartphone. They don't even need to have a smartphone. We can text them if they do have a phone which can handle text messages. We can use uh, landlines. Um, so we've really tried hard to make it as accessible as possible and to make it more universally available by not requiring um, apps or accounts or things that are real barriers, especially um, for communities that tend to be underserved anyway.
0: Thank you, Michael. S- so many questions are popping up for me right now. So let's just for a second dive into the experience for the patient. So it sounds like the individual patient does not need to actually call the uber that the system is doing that for them and it sounds like you either and i'm curious are you already able to and michael you're talking about again a lot of these folks uh, elderly infirm for one reason or another, need some assistance. So it is more than just getting in and out of a car. They actually need some help getting in and out of the car. They need more of an ambulance type of non-emergency medical transport that could take someone in a wheelchair. So are you already there or is that something that you're moving to?
1: Yeah. So I think, so Mike said it so well that we've been building this with the end patient in mind, Hmm. um, starting with how they connect with the technology. If you think about where there's the majority of overlap in folks that might have access issues, we're finding that there's a a huge need in a Medicaid population and a, a large need in a Medicare population as well. And so that's why, we don't require anyone to have the Uber app to be able to use the service. Their provider call center insurance plan makes a request on their behalf, and then they connect to the Uber via text message or even landline phone call. Rationale for that is we don't want someone to need a credit card. We don't need, want someone to need to use their data to download the Uber app. Um, and we found that most folks have a cell phone, might be unwilling to use data, but certainly know how to to text. Uh, And then we also meet the patients in their language. Um, So we have 18 different languages available to communicate with patients in, which we think is really important from sort of the figurative access uh, uh, perspective, uh, as well as that, you know, physical, the Uber showed up, you can get in the car and get to your appointment. Um, when it comes to thinking about a, a more comprehensive offering, to me that's table stakes to be able to serve 100% of the population, which is always the goal when you're when you're taking on this service in a in a really scalable way. And part of the reason that we came to Uber is because is not just because we have a lot of independent contractors that are drivers and independent contractors that are couriers. But because we're truly a marketplace where we have the ability, like Mike said, to integrate other fleets, other um, other services into our technology platform. And so are actively doing that right now and hope to come back in the in the next couple of months when when it's officially live.
0: Mm -hmm. That's great. Caitlin, you you, you and Michael have mentioned the issue of the logistics platform in as as plain English language as you can, because uh, you guys are obviously tech savvy to the extreme, but can you explain what is the sort of advantage, the magic of the Uber logistics platform? How does that sort of transcend what others are doing or what, what's been done in the past? What, what value does that bring?
1: So from my perspective, a big piece of um, where the system breaks down today, is in how benefits for transportation are structured. Um, and I promise I'll get back to the technology. I promise it's related. No, no. It yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so the the reason that it breaks down is health plans said, I don't know what to do with this. It seems difficult to create this network, w- which it is. There's, you know, like you alluded to earlier, a lot of mom and pop vendors. And so they delegated the responsibility of network design and therefore delegated the responsibility of benefit management and a call center as well. And the the impact of that is that the health plans now pay a per member per month fee for a benefit manager to manage non-emergency medical transportation. Now I know cuz I used to be at one of those non uh, benefit managers. I spent most of my time telling health plans you're paying me wrong. You know, they were paying me in a way that encouraged me to suppress utilization. And I didn't uh, because it wasn't the right thing to do for the patient and was actively having conversations about what good looked like, how to restructure incentives and how to more seamlessly fit into the care plan. And we're continuing that conversation at Uber, but what we're doing that enables um, acceleration of those discussions is leveraging our technology to be able to bifurcate the network design from the call center and benefit management. If you have the ability to access that network via technology, you can lean into your core skill set, which is matching patient requests with the network partner they need and allow that really complex network design to stick with those that are experts in it.
0: Kaylin, you made such a incredibly, incredibly complex issue and topic, at least to me, understandable. And I think everyone can understand that if it can't be paid for, it generally won't get done. And the complexities of that in our healthcare system are just almost mind boggling. You have to connect the the right patient who's in the network with the payer, and all that could literally bring everything to a grinding halt uh, at the point of care. And so this facilitation, having this all set up in the background so it makes it easier for payment to happen. I think I I hear that as one sort of value add. And the second, which you touched upon, is this notion of of incentives. And generally speaking, in the payer world, the idea is to reduce costs of care. Mm -hmm. Because in this country we know costs of care are just beyond exorbitant but to your point there are some things which are a little perverse like reducing cost of care by reducing access to care for instance and transportation (laughs) that sounds like that would backfire very very quickly especially at scale and so to your point it sounds like you all at uber health and maybe michael you could also pick up on this as well you're really trying to reverse that that perverse incentive and help the system and and more importantly really build it into the system that something like transportation is a cost That is very worthwhile in terms of its return on that investment, in terms of both health outcomes and and quality of health, and as well as overall total cost of care. In the end, is that? that, Am I? I'm just trying to capture that.
1: I think that's spot on, and and we'll, we'll turn it over to Mike. But just to give a really concrete example of what happens if you don't fix the structure of the system, you know, there is a really interesting true anecdote. Um, that happened a couple months ago, where we had a relationship with a payer. We had a relationship with one of their um, uh, with one of their risk bearing providers. It was a care coordination entity, and we were contracted with that care coordination provider. They had a patient who is a dual eligible member had to cross state lines to get a service that happened frequently, and so Medicaid wouldn't pay for the benefit. Because it happened frequently, they'd exhausted their Medicare benefit. And this care coordinator was getting paid in a value-based mechanism. They were incentivized to do the right thing for the patient. Um, And in this case, the right thing was patient had an urgent issue, needed a ride. Would have been about a $40 Uber ride, so $80 both ways, um, to um, to see their physician. They called us and they said, what should I do about this? And we said, that's why you contracted with us. The incentives are aligned uh, because you're going to have, have cost avoidance. um, And it's the right thing to do for the patient. They wouldn't do it because the benefit didn't technically exist. What happened was patient ended up having an acute event called an ambulance. So the cost of transportation alone became thousands of dollars versus the 80 we'd predicted. Mm -hmm. And they ended up in a hospital. So, so there was a massive cost to the system because the the structure wasn't set up appropriately.
0: And Michael, I I, I wanted to ask you specifically, picking up on this theme, you have years and decades of experience in value based care. One of the one of the themes that resonate th- throughout the last five years of my doing this podcast is this notion that fee-for-service does place some perverse incentives here in terms of short-term thinking. Just what is, as Caitlin was saying, that this sort of benefit of being in a payment model, such as a Medicare Advantage or other value-based payment models where where the incentives are aligned? I just wanted to maybe weave that into your response here.
2: So basically the case that Caitlin described is really important because what it demonstrates is that people have benefits under Medicaid programs, which if you cross state lines, cannot access. So, if you live in a tri state area, and there are multiple tri state areas in our country, you know, New York, Chicago, others, um, and you happen to have your health care across state lines, Missouri and, and Kansas and Kansas City, you know, you're out of luck from the Medicaid perspective. And then, even if you have Medicare, which could pay for it, but that benefit de- design is limited, you can't access care. And then, who's asking the question of why not spend the 80 bucks up front, get this person to the service they needed, avoid a, an acute worsening of their condition and exacerbation, which then led to a very costly, and there's always a risk whenever you're hospitalized. And so fee-for-service, there's no incentive to do anything different. There's no reason why you care from a pure revenue perspective and how you make money and get paid as a provider. No one um, is going to lose anything in a fee-for-service system. This person uses extra ambulance services and extra hospital services. In fact, they benefit. And This is where we need to continue to push towards value-based care because what's best for that person who missed their ride because of their benefit design complexity was to actually get a ride that was less expensive and faster and easier so they could get the healthcare they needed up front and avoid ED visit, hospitalization costs. I mean, At the end of the day, yes, it's more expensive, and yes, it's terrible because of that. Worse is that patient was subjected to unnecessary medical risk because of a failure to pay for transportation, which they were entitled to, under their Medicaid benefit. I mean, think about this. It could be closer for that person to go across state lines to get their services than it is to go to the state in-state service provider for that particular service. And yet the state is unwilling to pay for that person to go to a closer provider of services that is of equal or better quality. Some of the stuff just doesn't make any sense. And what's happening with Uber Health is that we're coming across these situations again and again. And we're, be, we're pushing for, for example, in a value-based care system, why aren't we building transportation benefits into that payment that the provider is getting? Because the providers are the ones then who are incentivized to manage quality, cost, and patient experience. All of the risk-based contracts include those three things as, as how you get paid. And they actually know the patient because they're the clinicians, you know, figuring out how to take care of them why not move this over to that so it's built in? So they don't have to worry about how many rides a year, that if the provider decides that they need to have 30 rides a month, they can get 30 rides a month. they only need three rides a month, they get three rides a month or whatever makes sense. So it goes back to some of these complex, relatively arcane issues of benefit design, Hmm. turn out to be really important when thinking about how we give access to people to transportation benefits and to do it in a way that's efficient and driven by clinical need and clinical value rather than this is the number of rides you're limited to and it's across state lines, et cetera, et cetera. It's really <laughs> fixing one small part of our system, which could have a huge impact, a very positive impact on the health of our communities.
0: It's so interesting. I've Many times I've said that and thought that the people in healthcare are amazing. The providers, the, the, the care coordinators, everyone is trying to do their best job, but the problem is the system is not great. And I think you just, you and Caitlin just really illustrated that. I'm visualizing these medical assistants, these care coordinators, these care managers, these case managers, the providers, the nurses, in the moment, if the system reinforces and incentivizes this volume based payment model, it it becomes incredibly hard. In fact, you, you, you put your own job at risk by trying to do the right thing for the patient. And very few of us can afford to do that. And so it really is a matter of, as you all are really pointing out and illustrating that, we have to fundamentally change this system to be value-based so that the people who are doing the work can do the right thing on behalf of patients and the truth is this is not some academic or hypothetical numbers game or economics game. This is real everyday life that where people are either gonna get that, you like you said, are you gonna spend the the 80 bucks to get someone to the doctor, or get them to dialysis, or get them to chemotherapy, get them so they could get treated for an exacerbation of heart failure or something, or are you are you gonna not pay that money and and instead allow that situation to worsen and then end up paying Hundreds, perhaps even thousands times, more fold the cost of doing that. So I, I think you really bring that point home so well. I really, really appreciate you both doing that so so brilliantly.
2: There's another point, Zev. I could just interject for a second. Another point related to this, and it goes and again, benefits design, a little arcane. I get that, but it's really important because even today, Medicare Advantage plans across the country, as an example, offer supplemental benefits that support transportation. Every plan is different in terms of number of rides, how you qualify, et cetera, et cetera. State Medicaid programs, uh, fund non-emergency medical transportation under certain circumstances. Every state is different, et cetera, et cetera. One of the challenges is even when we fix the benefit design to make this possible, people don't know about it and they don't know how to get it. And so you have this terrible situation where people are entitled and the the state saying, fine, we'll pay for it through Medicaid. And the health plan saying, great, our Medicare Advantage plan would love to pay for you to go see your doctor and we'll give you a ride to make that easier. The problem is, how do the how do the clinicians know how much they're entitled to? How does the member know how much they're entitled to? That's where technology comes in. And it goes back to that benefit of being a platform. We're working towards tying in that eligibility and verification feed, so that when a coordinator orders a ride, they know Mike has 12 left for this year, no problem planning a round trip, which is two legs. That's only down to 10, no worries, we got that covered. So the other thing that we think that where there's value is helping people understand and access their own benefits and making it easier for the clinicians who don't want to have to look up all this insurance stuff and benefit design because it's different for every plan and in every state. Let's just figure out how to make this easier and at scale. And the best way to do that is the technology, which we have available and we're continuing to um, develop to make it easier for people to get that information at one point of access in real time to understand what is available to help that patient.
0: Yeah, Michael, thank you for bringing that into the conversation that so what I'm hearing is that the so-called platform, the logistics, the technology, and Caitlin, I'd love to hear more about this. It, it's obviously brilliant in, in terms of logistics of getting people or things from place to place, but what I'm hearing, Michael, is in, embedded now in the technologies is another set of capabilities around automating accurate benefit design and eligibility at the point of care, so so people don't have to spend. I can't even imagine what it would take to for you know a care manager or a case manager to have to call and check eligibility, and it could take minutes to hours to days, perhaps. And this is all literally automatically done with electrons moving. So, Caitlin, maybe maybe expand a little bit about this notion of a platform and the technology and what the technology enables, as Michael was just talking about.
1: For sure. So I'd say that what Mike described is. Absolutely, our goal, and it, it comes back to sort of what are the barriers to access. There's the physical ones. Great, we can connect you with um, an Uber driver or or an Uber courier to get you what you need. And then there's the figurative ones of I don't know, do I have a benefit? I don't know how to access the benefit, etc. And so as we think about how to iterate on our product going forward, we are giving equal attention to that component because we think it's really, really important. Just to describe what happens today and what we'd like to happen in the future, what happens today is a hospital would have to look up patient's benefit design. Do they even have a benefit? If they have a benefit, they have to figure out who administers that benefit because it's typically a benefit manager that the health plan is contracted with. Um, Once they figure that out, they have to find the phone number they have to call on behalf of the patient, and typically you're given a you know three-hour window for when you'll be picked up, returned, et cetera, which is, um, to your point, very administratively burdensome for the provider and not a great experience for the patient. When we think about how to solve for that, you know, I think that we... By nature of our relationships with some of these benefit managers in the industry that are doing really important work, would love to be that hub where we can intake the patient information and know, know their benefits upfront to remove that administrative burden for the, for the provider, not give them homework, not give the patient homework, and make it that seamless experience. Um, so, a- again, actively working to do that now will we'll see us before the end of the year have the ability to intake an eligibility file. Um, and then thinking about how to make that universal um, is one of our key goals.
0: Thanks, Caitlin. Michael, you recently spoke at MIT in a panel about platforms in healthcare, and we've used that word here and we're talking about the tech platform. Could you say a little bit about, like, what does that mean? And I think we've been talking about it, but maybe maybe make it even more explicit and explain it, again, in understandable language. Again, this is such a, a profoundly reframing conversation for me, this notion that I might think about Uber and think, okay, that's great, uh, transport, nice ancillary service. But the reframe here is so far beyond that in terms of how absolutely critical this is in actual healthcare delivery and in actual healthcare and outcomes of care this is not ancillary by any means. And so what does a platform mean in healthcare? And how important from your perspective is it that we actually start to have platforms like Uber in healthcare delivery?
2: So I have, I have to warn you, I uh, practice sort of medicine, but not IT. So I'll give you my best explanation of <laughs> what this means. And, and, and I'm you know, not an IT expert, but the way I think about it is that platforms, it goes back to what you said a second ago, Zev, you know, if you have a, a program, an IT program, it can accomplish certain things. But what it can accomplish is limited because it's only um, there to do certain things for you. So for example, if you're using um you know, you're you're using your you keep track of how much you eat every day and you put you know what you eat into it, it calc- into this program, it calculates your calories, it calculates carbs, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Great. That's that's a program. The platform is The idea that you can now build these technology infrastructures, allow you to connect lots of these sorts of programs into one place. And you can connect people so that consumers can come to the platform and access a lot of different things in one place. And they can also, by connecting to other platforms, accomplish more because, like we just talked about connecting to the eligibility feed from a health plan, you can't do that as an individual patient, uh, or as a care coordinator, I mean, for every patient with every health plan on every platform. But if you have a platform, like if your EMR connects to a server that has access to not just one eligibility feed from health plans, but multiple eligibility feeds from multiple health plans, that eligibility platform connected to your electronic medical records suddenly makes it easier for you to do your work because you've got Um, access to way more information than you would be able to get from going to a single health plans portal to log in to find out what is this patient entitled to, are they a member, et cetera, et cetera. So the opportunity for Uber Health is to be initially a transportation platform, as we've talked about. And a logistics platform that we've talked about in terms of delivering food or medications or other testing in the home, all kinds of things you can deliver logistically. And by the way, pick that test up, bring it back to the lab, have the lab run the test, have a video visit with a provider through the platform, and then um, if necessary, get them a ride to primary care doctor's office or urgent care or the ED even if necessary um, to get treatment. The beauty of the platform model is that people can go to one place and access Many, many services. And for the providers of those services, Uber or Scriptdrop, our partner in delivering prescriptions, for example, they get access to many, many potential users of their services because it's advantageous for the, those potential users to use that platform. And once they're in it, they can connect up to lots and lots of different services. And what we talked about at the conference you mentioned a few weeks ago at MIT is the idea that. There's strength in platforms because of what they call network effects, that you can actually see the more people you have on a platform, the better it is for the people who are using that platform, as well as the people who are using that platform to connect with and provide services to their potential customers. And so today we have the Uber Health platform, which connects really well to the um, Uber transportation drivers that we have. Soon it will also connect to the non-emergency medical transportation folks we talked about and to prescription delivery services and to food delivery services. And then in the future, it will have that eligibility feed, so we won't have to do the terrible calling of call centers or going on individual portals, whatever the process is that they currently use, and we can connect up to the clinicians. That's the other thing we do today, so that clinicians can go on this platform and access not just the transportation, but soon transportation, prescriptions, medication delivery, test delivery. It makes it easier for the clinicians. It makes it better for the patients. And it makes it easier for the organizations that are providing the services because they can connect their platform to the Uber platform and make sure that it's much easier and more seamless. Like Caitlin talked about, that seamless experience that makes it easier, better, more efficient, and more effective for everybody. That's the potential of platforms.
1: And just to add one point to that. I I completely agree with what you said, Mike. The way that I think about a platform in the context of healthcare is when you're caring for a patient, there's a need for expertise and there's a need for specificity. In our case, the way that you structure a transportation network and deliver upon that is different from how you think about food as medicine. You know, different problem sets, you need folks that are experts in those point solutions Um, to solve them and solve them really well. And to me, the value of the platform is how do you connect that care team, especially when there's overlap um, in in need for patients? So how do you make it easy to access um, the best in class across all of the types of things that a patient may need well and, and make that frictionless?
0: So, Michael, first of all, that was perhaps one of the best explanations of a platform in healthcare I've heard. And so I I think it's great that it came from a non-techie person. So thank you. And Caitlin, your point was absolutely so eye-opening. The fact that how ludicrous for any organization and any entity to become an expert in every aspect, like you said, from... Medications, food, test delivery, eligibility—all these different factors. And so, the picture I'm getting, and Caitlin, you used these words before. It's—it really seems like a curated digital marketplace. Yes. Picking as you just used your words again you want to use your words best in class vendors in these highly specific areas choose them but bring them together connect them as michael was showing and saying so this becomes a one-stop shop as you said before and i i can now see the picture the vision you're painting in maneuver health it's it just makes so much sense
1: we hope so we we can't wait to uh you know we've obviously been in action for for a while now um uh, and and have seen enormous traction in the market and are excited to uh, continue to see where this can go, because obviously we very much believe in the mission.
0: Quick concrete question. I mean, Uber Health's been around, I read online, it was 2018, so it's not that old. I mean, you guys are moving, you've done a lot in a relatively short period of
1: time. Um, that, that's right, so we started in 2018. I joined about a year ago um, in April of 2021 and and since our inception, um, you know, over the past year, uh, the the public figures that, that we released said we grew 71% and ended up with 3,000 different uh, customers.
0: Wow, that's fantastic. And who is your ultimate paying customer? Is it the payer? Is it the employer? Is it the healthcare system? Who's, who's actually behind that?
1: Uh, all of the above. So um, when we think about how... These benefits are paid for today. Um, For transportation, for example, um, 100% of Medicaid plans pay for transportation. So generally fit in as a piece of their solution. On the Medicare side, it's about 40% of Medicare Advantage plans offer non-emergency medical transportation. Um, And then on the Uh, health system side, that leaves a lot of people that may have access issues that don't have a covered benefit. And it makes sense for these health systems or ACOs to pay out of pocket. To your question about employers, there's really interesting early data that, that we've been talking with some of our partners and customers about that indicates that some fully insured employees can act uninsured. Um, because of life situation, access issues, et cetera. So even though it is not yet common uh, for employers to cover non-emergency medical transportation or prescription delivery or food as medicine as a covered benefit, we're having a lot of those conversations today because there is a real need.
0: Yeah. I mean, when you just said that, I thought of I had an opportunity to interview Harris Rosen, who's a hotelier in Florida, owns a large hotel chain. He set up his own healthcare employer healthcare organization actually called rosencare he actually made the point to me that it pays to actually transport his employees to their employee health clinic to the hospital to their office he said the return on investment is tremendous he just was willing to pay for it he saw the the numbers himself and he's been doing that for years so i think i think that's something that other employers just need to begin to realize it also caitlin as you're talking i'm thinking actually along the same points that it almost even if you're not self-insured even if you're in a fee-for-service world even if i'm let's say a, a hospital system healthcare system i obviously have not done this pro forma but it just seems to me the the return on investment even in a fee-for-service world is there pay that 80 bucks because again that that 15 10 15 percent whatever no-show rate that's costing you money you're you're losing revenue there and i i just think I, I clearly in a value-based world this makes all the sense in the world financially and otherwise but even in a fee-for-service, I suspect if we ran a Performa, it, there would be a significant return on investment.
1: You're, you're spot on. So, um, you know, for example, we do work with the veterans, um, the, the VA Innovation Center, and they're a fee-for-service operation and have reported millions of dollars of savings across 10 hospitals over a six-month period of time based on exactly what you're talking about.
0: So someone has run the performa.
1: Yes, yes, and, and and it's. I think we're one of those unique, unique tech platforms and services that um, work with a value-based care payment model or a fee-for-service payment model, which I think is um, rare in healthcare.
0: Michael, I know and both of you, thank you. You've been so generous with your time and, and oh my God, I'm just blown away by your brilliance. I, I, I thought you were wicked smart before. Now I'm just, I don't even know the word to use and what, what you all are doing in Uber Health. Just a, a couple of more quick questions. Michael, what's one major lesson you've learned or discovered along your journey that might be helpful for others? Is there something that sort of stands out? I know you've been in healthcare for a long time, but is there some sort of aha as you've been working in Uber Health?
2: Yeah, I think I think there are some relatively straightforward solutions that we can access today to solve problems that appear to be intractable. It's very unusual. Like Caitlin and you were just discussing, it's very rare to have a solution that works for both fee-for-service and for risk-bearing entities. Access to transportation actually does both. And access to transportation also helps us get to our goal of bringing care to the patients um, when possible, rather than requiring them to go to the care unless it's necessary. And so I think just how this simple idea that you can—you don't, as a patient, you don't even have to go online or download an app or use your data plan to pay for it. You can have your healthcare provider organize this ride for you. And what's interesting is we did a trial, small study, um, paternal health study in Washington, D.C., with uh, women who lived in um, geographically remote parts of DC where it would take them an hour by public transportation to get to their prenatal maternal health visits. And um, we were able to identify through our partnership with uh, Sergo Ventures, um, where those women lived, who they were, who was at the highest risk of maternal uh, poor outcomes. We were able to then offer the rides. And the interesting question was, you know, should the provider order or should we just give vouchers um, to the pregnant people to let them choose, you know, schedule it themselves. And it turned out that the the patients really preferred to have, many of them preferred having the clinic do it for them, mm-hmm. which is different than I would have expected. Of course there's gonna be diversity and all the rest of it in terms of what people prefer. But just that simple question of Is it easier if your doctor does it or doctor's office i should say does this for you these are federally qualified community health centers that we were working with we partnered with two of them and um we saw that interestingly that they expressed a preference many of them to have the rides booked for them Um, the numbers did show that 76 percent of them said that it was easier for them to get to the fqhc for their prenatal visits because of this access to transportation which Took the time it took to travel on average from an hour each way to half an hour. So you're saving an hour for someone who's pregnant, who may already have other kids, maybe juggling a job on top of that. Um, That matters in terms of access to care. It's a very specific and concrete example of a relatively straightforward solution. We'll book the ride for you and we'll give you the ride for free. That makes a big difference in the health of those pregnant folks and their babies um, in terms of also ensuring that they get to well child visits, well baby visits, well uh, checkups after delivery as well. So there's a there's a lot of opportunity to deploy something straightforward like transportation mm-hmm. to solve this big problem. And the technology makes it scalable, accessible, and um, affordable.
0: Michael, is that the, the Rise for Moms program that you were just referring to?
2: Yes, exactly. It rides for Moms. And we're looking to replicate that in other places into um, we've got a lot of interest um, from other um, organizations serving underserved populations where they recognize this barrier every day. They don't have a solution. Um, we have a potential solution and um, a lot of states, um, transportation is covered uh, for pregnant people. So I think there is um, the opportunity now that we've demonstrated the value to actually uh, begin to scale it and disseminate it across the country.
0: such an important program. Thank you for for sharing that program with us today. As we talk about something like this, a topic like this, talk about a statistic. the fact that uh, maternal fetal mortality in black women and their infants is three times the rate of the general population. and, a problem that we should be able to solve and yet haven't yet. And so I think this program is targeted and speaking directly at that again, this is not hypothetical or academic or even financial. This is this is real and it's about life and death and for moms and, and their infants. And so I, I just want to say thank you for the Rise for Moms program uh, to Uber Health. It it really is just inspiring. And and Caitlin, I think in in our correspondence. You even mentioned something about the fact that there's a significant percentage of those moms when you've interviewed them or, or done the research that if they hadn't had this Uber ride, they literally would not have gone to the visit. And as Michael was just pointing out, this is serious. This is preventive care. A lot of these moms have other medical issues like diabetes or whatnot. And and these prenatal visits are absolutely critical to having a healthy pregnancy and a healthy delivery and a healthy infant. And, and again, talk about touching your heartstrings. This is just I'm kind of getting a little teary even just thinking about it. it's such important work. Caitlin, I want to turn it to you. You came from outside of healthcare originally and a uh, tremendous background in economics and finance, and of course spent years in healthcare, I have incredible knowledge. What's an aha? What's a lesson you've learned that you think might be helpful for others?
1: I'd say two things. So one is sort of around the the rides for moms program. I think you were spot on where a lot of these moms would not have gone to their appointment and 58% were high risk. So so mm-hmm. that could have led to some some really bad outcomes. My takeaway matches Mike's where I would have expected patients wanting to self-navigate, but understanding the power of embedding a solution at the provider or at the care coordinator, to make the patient feel more in control and more cared for, I think is really important and certainly informs our perspective at Uber Health. Um, And then the second lesson is, it's shocking to me how much the setup of the system influences whether organizations are willing to do the right thing. You know, I think the example that we gave earlier on the podcast of, we had a structure where everyone should have wanted to give that patient who needed to cross state lines a ride, but the system failed him. That that really surprised me, um, given that everyone involved was on a value-based care design. And so have been thinking a lot about, you know, how do we influence the way the ecosystem is created? Um, as opposed to just hoping that, you know, incentives alone or desire to help patients alone work.
0: Yeah, Caitlin, again, as you talk, just so many images coming to mind as I listen to you, what's the vision and what's sort of the next step? What's the vision for Uber? And I, if you don't mind, I just indulge me for a second here. I, I just, as I'm listening to you both, my mind is now sort of seeing a, a large reframe of healthcare where, Michael, we started out with a question at the beginning, right, about access and and social determinants of health. And we've got these programs, we've got these services, but they're, they're pretty basic. They're not really technologically sophisticated, not even close to like an Uber platform and they're separated. They're not seamless. They're fragmented. And it, it almost seems to me like this is the Uberization of healthcare or the opportunity to have a platform. That, as you and Caitlin pointed out so eloquently, this notion of a, of a technology platform that can really be that connector of whether it's transportation or food or medication or tests, putting that all in one place in a seamless, using best-in-class vendors connected instantaneously having the ability for anyone to go in and access and see an individual and what they need and what they have and caitlin you said at the beginning even the notion that it would nudge or prompt you to say hey listen this patient may need this you both just saying that people don't want to have to do the work of calling whether it be a case manager or an individual patient and managing themselves the fact that it can be done for them in this way it really paints a whole, I, I don't know how any any other way to say it than the uberization of healthcare delivery. And again, it takes us out of that mindset of, oh, this is a transport service to no, this is a platform for care and kind of trying to piece all you've said together in this conversation. That's what I'm saying. I'm I wonder if you could correct that or build on that or expand that notion. Caitlin, maybe starting with you.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. So if I'm I'm hoping that a year from now. We can say that we're a platform that has exposed sort of those best in class or um best in class providers and benefit managers for transportation, prescription delivery, over-the-counter delivery, and food at the very least. And that we've successfully helped our ultimate payers and our insurance plan clients structure benefits that encourage that encourage use of this platform via the provider who's closest to the patient understands their needs best um and can take the appropriate action to do the right thing for the patient um at the individual level and remove cost from the system at the population health level. Wow,
0: well, thank you, Michael.
2: I, I'm not sure there's much more to add. <laughs> <laughs> I, agree.
0: I was thinking the same exact thing. Boy, Caitlin, you thank you. You just nailed that thank you quick question last question both of you i can't tell you how much respect i have for both of you and for the work you're doing and for uber health but also just how grateful i am to have this ability and privilege to speak with you you both are not just smart and experienced and accomplished but you you both think differently i'm just wondering michael maybe starting with you what guides your thinking about this notion of how you've really and and it's in all of the work I know you've done, but this reframing of healthcare with Uber, what what is, is it about you? Was there a lesson? Is there something you adhere to? Is there a way you think? Is there a set of principles? Very curious.
2: Yeah, so I think pretty simplistically, the way that I, uh, why do I do what I do comes down to sort of two big areas. One is I really believe so strongly, and it's, again, my experience clinically is mostly in geriatrics, but I've worked across populations and with, pediatricians and geriatricians and everybody in between, and um, it's really important to bring the care to the patient, if at all possible, and um, when it makes sense to do so, and we do a terrible job of that today. The pandemic has shown us we can actually do a lot better job, and it's exciting to see how that potential exists, and we've made a lot of progress doing that today, but it's going to require a different infrastructure to do it at scale. Um, it isn't just enough to have video conferencing or telephone discussions. You've got to move patients to the site of care when they need to be moved and you have to bring them tests or medicines or um, over-the-counter, whatever it is that they need to be able to uh, stay healthy, stay at home um, and age in place if that's what they choose and that's what they need. So for being able to support that with a new kind of infrastructure is really exciting to me and, and one of the big reasons that I came to Uber Health the second big area is just as someone who's really um, focused on how do we help our society become healthier and stay healthy, it really goes back to the what you used to call the triple aim goals, You know, so providing better quality of care, excellent patient experience at lower cost, and by the way, reducing cost by reducing waste, not just chopping off percentages, and we talked before in this, in this podcast about the waste that happens when we don't spend efficiently. We've now added to that the need to also support clinicians who are faced with these frustrations from the system that you talked about so eloquently, Zeb, a few minutes ago. This is where um, we can be helpful to the clinicians, whether it's helping them get to their jobs or helping their patients get to see them. And then finally, lately, we've recognized that there has to be equitable access, That's not enough to just do, you know, higher quality, lower cost, better patient experience, better provider experience. We can't only do that for some of us. We have to do it for everyone in our communities. And so what's what's really nice about using that framework is it forces you to constantly be working to make things better. And to understand that we'll never get to perfect, but we've got to keep trying. We have to keep pushing and to find solutions and platforms um, like Uber Health I think is a major step forward uh, across all five of those dimensions and it's been a pleasure um, having this opportunity to share with you our experiences and perspective and my particular experiences and perspective uh, with you today
0: oh thank you Michael Caitlin for some reason as I was thinking about you and I'm, I just want to hear your perspective on, on kind of what drives you and and do you have a heuristic or, or some principles or just your your thinking and, and reframing. But it's really interesting. When I thought about you a moment ago, as Michael was finishing up speaking, I I just thought, wow, again, and maybe Michael, this is connected with your your comments as well about the social determinants of health as part of that quintuple aim, which I've heard you reference all the time. But Caitlin, I was just thinking, and you said this before, and I think it's such an important point, how critically important these non-clinical determinants of health are, And I I just don't think, we sometimes use those words, we talk about social determinants of health, political determinants of health, but those non-clinical determinants of health are bigger, I think, than any one of us to date. I've had lots of brilliant people on, and I just think it's even bigger than we imagine. And I think the work you're doing really is illustration of how big it is, how much of an impact it has on healthcare, and the opportunity to really transform healthcare for the better at the real level where people need other people. Again, just wanted to share that thought about you and just really super interested to hear more about Caitlin Donovan.
1: <laughs> that, thank you. And and I, I, I agree. I think, you know, as, as much as we might try, not one person, not one platform, not one company will solve this problem, both because it's a really big problem and it's a really hard one to solve. When I think about what drives me Um, I think Mike's answer was much more eloquent and much more specific than mine. I'm really just driven on how can you do the right thing and help as many people at scale. I found over time, finding myself in more and more jobs that I really connect to the mission. And the mission tends to be around helping people. The other thing that I think drives me is thinking about how you design a system if you had a blank sheet of paper, Mm. as opposed to accepting um, the status quo for what it is. Um, If you do the former and then sort of back into why isn't it that way, it gives you a more clear path forward to make meaningful impact in a shorter period of time. Whereas if you do the latter, I think you get stuck in meaningful, but incremental work.
0: Caitlin and Michael, someone re- recently emailed me and they said, I just posted another interview a couple of weeks ago. And they said, Oh, after I heard that interview, they said, Sav, I-, I wanted to go work with that person. I wanted to quit my job and work with that person. I just want to tell you both after spending the last hour or so with both of you, I can't imagine anyone who's listening, who doesn't want to come and work with you <laughs> at overhealth. It's just, you both are just tremendous well people. we are
1: hiring zev everyone is welcome
0: <laughs> there we go <laughs> there we go
2: we'll share the website later <laughs> <laughs>
0: this, this whole interview was actually a hiring promo right <laughs> so exactly <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyways so much fun to speak with you both and again so meaningful and as you know michael i know you've listened to the podcast i do this every time i first of all want to thank you both caitlin donovan the global head of Uber Health and Michael Cantor, the chief medical officer for Uber Health. And also wanted to turn to those of you who are listening out there and thank you all for the hard work you do each and every day of taking care of patients. Such critically important work, such hard work. And and to those of you who are supporting those who are taking care of patients, can't say enough about how much I and we appreciate you for what you do and recognize how critically important this work is for the individuals, for their families, for their communities, and quite honestly, for our society. This is Zev Neuwirth on Creating a New Health Care. My friends, until next time, be safe and be well.